0: Well, good evening and greetings from Grace Church. We are so excited to be with you this evening. Grace Church family, thank you for joining us and everyone else that's joining us from around the state, around the country, even around the world. We're glad that you've joined us tonight. And we're going to have a great time in the Word of God. We're going to have a great time being together virtually. And so God bless you so much. I hope you're having a good week. I hope that God's blessings have been abundant in your life like they have in mine, and it's just great to be with you, and it's great to be in the presence of God tonight. i want to give you an opportunity to give uh, right away this evening. Uh, You'll see there are three ways to give there on your screen, of course, by text on the church website, and also you can mail your gift to the address that you see there on the screen. Thank you for your faithfulness to the kingdom of God, thank you for your generosity. It is it is your support, it is your gift that helps the kingdom of God go forward and helps the gospel go out to those that need it most. While you're giving, why don't we open our service with prayer and ask God's blessing with us tonight. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with us and talk with us. You're not a God that can't hear, you're not a God that doesn't feel, You're a, you're our God. You're very much alive and very much well. And you're in our life, and you, you, you're living, and in you we live and move and have our being. And so I pray your presence upon everything that's done here on campus, Lord, as we live stream tonight. Be in every home, be in every life, every family that's tuned in tonight that's listening. Let your word do a powerful work. And right where you are, would you just say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If As you're giving, as you're settling in, getting ready for Bible study, let, re, let me remind you about the podcast that we're doing each week. These are our Bible teachers from across the campus, various age groups. You'll see they're listed on your screen. And these folks are uploading fresh content throughout the week for your benefit, uh, for your edification. So take advantage of that. And then as we've been announcing the Sunday school class, the kids' Sunday school class is meeting by Zoom at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And then the junior high on Sunday afternoon. So let your kids be a part of that. Let them be blessed. And um, our teachers are pouring their heart and soul into that. Amen. So if you'll make a note of those things, I would appreciate it and you will be blessed. I do want to just reflect for a moment before pastor comes to the pulpit and we'll we'll move right into what God has for us from the word of God and from what pastor has for us, but um, I believe, according to my recollection and the way I've got it figured out here, today is May the 13th, which makes it, I believe, 60 days now. On March the 13th, I remember very clearly was when the governor kind of sent all the kids home from school. And then that was kind of a momentous deal, and we kind of knew that we were moving into a quarantine phase, and then the stay-at-home order just kind of... Came in on the heels of that, so it's been, in my mind at least, if you'll bear with me there, it's been about sixty days by my reckoning, two months, and I, you know, I guess there's nothing really special about that, uh, other than to say this: it's a way to mark time, and it's a way to reflect. And so I'm just going to ask you, uh, just just reflect in your own heart and in your own mind what these last sixty days have been. If you're like me. It's been a, a wide range of emotions, and you can go right down the line on, on the different emotions we've all felt. But, but what, what I hope you understand tonight, and the note that I want to leave you on, is, is as you look back over the last eight and a half weeks or so, hasn't God been good? And hasn't He been with us every step of the way? I can look back and say, God, I, I see that your hand has been in my hand, and I see that you've directed every step. You've been with me, you've been with my family. And I know you can say the same today. God is good all the time. In the high points, the low points, and everything in between, God is with us. And so I want to celebrate that tonight. I want to mark this moment by saying, surely God's been good. And I hope you can say in your life that you have drawn closer to God through this time. I hope you can look back and see where you're walking more consecrated, where you're walking more committed. Perhaps you're more in tune with the vision of the kingdom of God, of reaching souls. So I, I hope you can say that tonight. If you can't, it's not too late. Go ahead and dial into that and plug into that now because God has got something great for us. He's got something great for the church. And I believe in the very soon Coming days and weeks, we will see an outpouring of God's Spirit like we've prayed about, like we believe for. I believe it's coming, so get ready for it. God bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Pastor's coming to bring the Word of God. Clap your hands right where you are in Jesus' name.
1: Thank you, Brother Dave, and great to be with all of you folks again. And uh, I want to say very sincerely, uh, Just a big, huge thank you for your faithfulness in watching. Um, I have been assured by a number of our amazing Grace Church folks that uh, you're watching, you're hanging in tough, and uh, people say, I'm tired of live stream, I'm ready to be back in church. I'm tired of live stream, and I'm in church, and I'm still tired of it. So uh, but we're looking forward to um, the future and what God has in store. I would like to just mention briefly that uh, if you attend Grace Church regularly, you should have received an email by now about our reopening Grace Church. If not, please contact the church office and uh, we'll take care of that for you. I want to do something tonight I haven't done in a long time, it's hard to say this without a smile on my face, but I have some things to share with you, and uh, if you'd like to uh, shout back at me when church is over, don't do it now, but when church is over, uh, let me know what you think, see if you agree or not. <clears throat> but um, I'd just like to send a big shout out tonight to my fingers, because I can always count on them. Are y'all on board yet? <clears throat> uh, whenever I feel blue, I just start breathing again. And to be frank, I'd have to change my name. So I love the delayed response just from the, the just the handful of people that are here. It just takes a second or two for these brilliant nuggets of wisdom to sink in. So thank you for bearing with me on that one. Uh, I've thoroughly appreciated the past several Wednesday nights uh, that we've been able to share with you and um, tonight is no exception. I'm looking forward to tonight. The material that I want to share with you tonight has to do with the message I preached last Sunday. Do you still have a dream? And the message, Lord willing, that we're planning to preach this coming Sunday. So I want to call your attention to the Word of God tonight. And again, I will not be long, uh, being that we're on totally on live stream tonight as far as church goes. And I don't know, I may stay short and I may get more lengthy as the time goes on. We'll just have to see. Um, but I want to read from Joshua chapter 7 beginning with verse 2. <clears throat> Very familiar story. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai, And make not all the people to labor thither. There's no point in everybody trying to fight this battle. Because, they said, they are but a few. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shabarim. And smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and it became as water. I want to lift that last statement out of verse five, and I want that to be our focus tonight. After Israel was soundly defeated by just this few number of people at AI, the Bible said the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about why failure is relevant why failure is relevant I remember when I was a a child and and even a teenager uh, my family uh, had a subscription to the local Baton Rouge newspaper and uh, on the way home from church on Sunday we couldn't wait home wait to get home to the comics and that's the only part of the paper I read and, uh, and, and we, sometimes me and my siblings would even fight over it as to who was going to read it first. But some of you may remember the, some of the newspapers' cartoons. The one we're probably the most familiar with is the lovable Charlie Brown and all of his failures. He failed in baseball, he failed in flying kites, he failed in winning the little red uh, haired girl, he failed at kicking a football. Failure happens to everyone who tries. Failure happens to everyone who tries. Theodore Roosevelt once said that the only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything, and I concur with that. The same is true with failure. No one is immune from failure. And the top fears that, that people face when you're talking about failure, the, the top fears that, that, that people face, number one is a fear of criticism. People have a fear of rejection. People have a fear of pain. Uh, people have a fear of loss. And then, of course, there's the fear of failure. And while we cannot always identify with the successes in life, all of us can identify with failure. I think everybody who is listening or watching tonight can agree with that statement. All of us have failed somewhere along the line in our life. Believe it or not, the Bible is full of failures. The Bible has lots of failures. Moses failed feeling that initial call of God when he slew the Egyptian, he got scared and he fled to the wilderness and stayed there for 40 years. We talked about that this past Sunday. In the New Testament, John Mark was rejected by Paul. Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. David, oh my David, committed adultery and, and murder. Samson fell in love with Delilah. The, the list goes on and on. There's numerous failures in the Bible. And then, uh, in our, our recent past, if you will, we have current failures, huge failures. Charge, uh, Charles Schultz, was rejected by Walt Disney. Albert Einstein was kicked out of school. Thomas Edison failed 10,000 times to create the incandescent light bulb. Somebody asked him one time, do you just feel like you have just failed over and over and over? And he said, no, because each failure takes me closer to success. Abraham Lincoln lost seven elections and failed in business twice. Ronald Reagan lost the Republican nomination in 1976 to Gerald Ford. Our our current culture is full of failures. Let's continue about the subject of failure. A lot of people give up when they fail, but what they fail to understand, no pun intended, is that failure is a matter of perspective failure is a matter of perspective I'm trying to help somebody here tonight we all know that Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs but what you don't hear is he struck out 1,330 times Hank Aaron hit 755 home runs but what you don't hear is he struck out 1,383 times Richard Petty won 200 races and he's famous in that industry of car racing. But what you don't hear is, yes, he won 200 races out of 1,185 starts. You, You hear about these people sometimes and you think all they did was win. All they did was break records. No one tells of how many times they failed in order to get to that place of success. The great soccer player, Pele made less than 3% of the shots that he took. Basketball great Michael Jordan made less than half of the shots that he took. So failure is a matter of perspective. And I would challenge anyone here tonight that if you know anyone that you deem hugely successful, sit down and have a conversation with them and ask them how many times they failed. I think you would be response, you'd be surprised at their response. So as much as failure is a matter of perspective, I will agree tonight that I have failed far more than I've succeeded, but it's never kept me from trying to A failure has never tried to keep me from succeeding next time. I'll never forget uh, Brother Alan Oggs. Uh, one of our old-time preachers uh, was born with so many birth defects. And uh, the doctor told him he had not do a lot of things, but he tried and tried and tried, and he conquered so many things in his life. And even with a, a difficult uh, speech handicap, he became one of our most uh, prevalent preachers a number of years ago. But I remember him telling the story. The doctor said he could never learn to ride a bicycle, and he tried over and over and over, skin his knees and elbows and... Tore up clothes and on and on and on. And finally one day, after trying for a long period of time to ride a bicycle, he finally got off of it and pushed it to the side of his house, propped it up against his house, and he pointed his finger at it. He said, tomorrow I'm going to ride you. And he did. You can't quit because of failure. And failure must be a matter of perspective. You have to be honest and transparent about failure. The heartbreak about failure, especially when it comes to church, when it comes to serving God, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to raising children, not only is failure a matter of perspective, but consider people's typical general response to failure. First and foremost, in the church arena, somehow or another, we tend to blame God first and the story that I just read to you about Israel fighting against ai a battle that should have been won very easily, they, they completely failed in that attempt. In Joshua chapter 7, Joshua cried out, Sovereign Lord, why do you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let, a, let the Amorites kill us if only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan? Joshua was at his wits end in this particular instance and he blamed God for what was happening to him. The second response to failure, and this is probably the most prevalent in our American culture today, is we blame others. It's always somebody else's fault. In Genesis, in the story of Adam and Eve, when God confronted Adam, the man said, the woman gave to me. Uh, to the woman that you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And then the God asked the woman what happened and she said, well, the devil made me do it. They just passed the blame onto something else. And I would say our typical response to failure is it's always someone else's fault. But then the third uh, thing that we like to blame for failures, we tend to blame our circumstance. If it hadn't been for the circumstance I was in, then uh, this wouldn't have happened. The Bible said in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10, that Judah said the strength of the burden carriers is weakening and there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. He blamed it on the circumstance that he was in. So across the board, we blame God, we blame somebody else, and we blame our circumstance. The catchphrase of today's society is it was not my fault that I failed. It's nothing that I did. Again, I want to try to help somebody, and I'm I'm reaching back to this past Sunday's message and looking forward a little bit to this coming Sunday, Lord willing. Um, But I want to give you five signs to look for of impending failure. Five signs of impending failure where you can kind of see the handwriting on the wall, if you will. One of the first signs that a person is headed down the road of failure is a loss of focus. Again, from the book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 3, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up and let only about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai and and make not all the people to labor thither for they are but but a few. They didn't take Ai serious. I think it's one of the greatest mistakes that people make on the road to failure is they do not take what is ahead of them serious enough they don't take their decision making serious enough they don't take their circumstance serious enough they they suffer a loss of focus they're distracted by something else something else becomes the greater priority the second thing that is on the road to failure is overconfidence Again, from Joshua 7, they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men. They fled before the men of Ai. We read this a few moments ago, and Ai smote them. They went up with their chest sticking out and flexing their muscles and said, we got this, and they were soundly defeated. And it caused them to be incredibly discouraged for such an embarrassing failure. But they approached the situation without thinking it through, without doing proper survey and even surveillance, and they got overconfident. Because they had the great victory of the walls of Jericho behind them, they felt like they could beat anybody. So there's a loss of focus, and then there's overconfidence. We got this. No problem. No sweat. Number three is kind of unusual But to me, it makes a lot of sense. The third sign on the road to failure is when ethics slip. In Joshua, again, Joshua chapter 7, the Bible said Israel has sinned. It's because of what Achan did. It's why they lost at Ai. They were impure. They were not clean before God anymore. They had not been appropriate in the victory that God had just given them. They had sinned, they had transgressed. God said, you transgressed my covenant that I, I've commanded you. You've taken of the accursed thing you've stolen and disassembled and you've put it among your own stuff. You've taken possession of things that you shouldn't have possession of. There's things in your home, in your life, in your mind that shouldn't be there. There's, there's a breach in your relationship with God. This is a sign of impending failure. So a loss of focus, overconfidence, and then when ethics slip. Number four is very glaring to me, a sign on the road of impending failure and its poor self-management or self-control. The Bible said in Joshua 7, verse 12, therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, God said, except you destroy the accursed thing From among you. So it's imperative tonight that if you want to be successful in your relationship with God, you have to maintain self control. You have to be willing to do what it is that God wants you to do. And then finally, the fifth thing, the fifth sign on the road to impending failure is lost love. Joshua 7, 14, God commanded to sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in the midst of you. It's what Achan had stolen. You can't stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing before you. In other words, God is saying to you, to them, I gave you an amazing victory and you sinned bitterly in the middle of it. Falling in love with the world and worldly things. And my years of pastoring, I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. People get good pay raises and good jobs and nice cars and nice homes. And when they had a whole lot less, they were a a whole lot more committed and submitted to the Lord. But then God blesses them and then all of a sudden... Worldly things become most important and the job is most important and, and little league sports with the kids is most important. And the list goes on and on and, and they start missing church. What's happening here? They're losing their first love. They forgot the priority and importance of their relationship with God. So we have to keep perspective when it comes to failure and we have to learn the signs that are pointing us in the direction of failure. Let me talk to you for a few moments tonight about the dangers of it. Again, I'm trying to help somebody. I'm talking about the dangers of failure. Failure can be a dangerous thing. Failure causes in some an exaggeration of reality. Failure for some people just makes you want to throw your hands up and quit. And the list is long tonight, especially in this area. Of people who have failed in their relationship with God and far exaggerated the reason why. Again, from Joshua chapter 7, verse 9, and when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land uh, hear about it, they will surround us and wipe us off the face of the earth, and then what will happen to the honor of your great name, Joshua said. It's an, an exaggeration of reality. I'm not going to chase a rabbit here tonight, and, and it's it's hard to resist the opportunity. But when when failure comes, and you realize that things that you had planned for and hoped for and dreamed of and what have you is not going to materialize, at least like you thought, it's hard not to get emotional. When people get emotional, they exaggerate. They always blow things out of proportion. Kids do it. Adults do it. People on the job does it. People in church does it. Everybody blows everything out of proportion. Out of, out of uh, proportion and uh, reality escapes the whole entire situation this is one of the great dangers of failure is because it will cause you to exaggerate i have sat down with church people who failed in in whatever capacity and to hear them tell the story it's you end up crying with them you you You're almost on the verge of calling the funeral home, if not a hospital to put them in the ICU unit and all that. And not to exaggerate or belittle that point, but then you start talking to their friends and family, and they'll tell you it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. It didn't happen that way. It didn't come down that way. This has been my experience more than one time with people. It's an exaggeration of reality. I want to encourage somebody here tonight. I want to instruct somebody here tonight. When you fail, keep it in perspective. Learn the signs that, are, that will point you, that, that, that tells you on your, you're on the road to reality. But when that time of failure comes, keep your emotions intact and do not exaggerate the reality. Start focusing on recovery. The second danger of failure is that failure causes some to give up their efforts. This is so true with people in their relationship with God. I know scores... Of backsliders tonight of people that once sat in a church similar to this when they raised their hands they worship God my heart has been so burdened for backsliders uh, especially during this time of quarantine and I hope God is speaking to our our backsliders here tonight but they've they failed at serving God or something hurt them something offended them they're just going to give up completely I'm not even going to do that anymore The reason I'm making that point is because I know gobs of people whose marriage have failed, but that didn't prevent you from remarrying. I know people whose kids have failed, but you've never thrown them out and turned your back on them. You tried again. Why don't you do that in your relationship with God? Don't give up on your effort. The third danger of failure is failure causes some people to never want to take a risk again. And I think that's a lot of the breach and backsliders wanting to serve God again. They're not going to risk getting their feelings hurt again. They're not going to risk putting themselves out there, get in a church pattern, start paying their tithes, being faithful, start worshiping, learn songs, all the new songs the church is doing and whatever, because as sure as the world as I do and stick my head out, somebody's going to chop it off again. I had a teacher in elementary school her name was Miss Peabody and uh, there were several sayings that she would say every day two or three times that get to the point where you just get tired of hearing it but I remember her saying over and over again "If first you don't succeed try try again and that's burned into my mind and and I've lived that as as with all of my might all of my life the next danger of failure as your failure may prevent others from trying. Sister Murph and I have had many conversations through the years talking about this family and talking about that family and if they're backslidden or they've, they're unchurched completely, whatever the case is. And we've often said, we've said it here recently, if the husband would come to church, the wife would. Or if the wife would start coming to church, the husband would. We've said that over and over and over. And what people don't realize that if when you fail and you give up, you're going to prevent possibly your family from trying again, your kids to try, your grandkids to try, uh, whatever the case may be. So we have to be careful how we handle our failure and how it's going to impact those around us. I've seen over more than one case where one family member will get offended at church and pull the whole family out. I've seen that happen many, many, many times. Another danger of failure is that failure causes some to be resentful of those who do succeed. I know this runs in ministry huge. It took me a while to catch up with the idea, but a number of years ago I finally caught up with it that the most criticized pastors are those who are the most successful. I've got to be real careful here, but I... Uh, I don't hear a lot of pastors criticize that aren't doing nothing. Their churches had not grown in the past 20 years. They have the same people, the kind of us four no more thing. You don't even know who they are. But let one have some success and let his name go around a little bit and all of a sudden he's going to be a this and he's going to be a that because he's been successful. Failure can cause some to be resentful of those who succeed. And uh, this runs in Marriage. I've talked to people, single people, divorced people who are literally jealous and envious of people who are happily married. Uh, You have to be careful in your failure, not to be resentful of those who succeed. The Bible teaches to rejoice with those that rejoice. Let me share with you four things to know about failure. I want you to understand tonight if if we were all here live, I'd probably break this into two or three Bible studies on Wednesday night. It's a lot of material, but I just want to go through it tonight. And I know I'm going kind of quick, but you do have the advantage of going back and watching it later if you want to. But I want to give you four things that I want you to know tonight about failure. And I don't want you to forget it. I'm asking you not to forget it. There's four things you need to know about failure. Number one, failure does not have to be final. Failure does not have to be final. You can always try again. Failure does not have to be final. Number two, failure does not have to be fatal. You can be bigger than your failure. You can. You can be bigger than your failure. Grace Church has people who attend it regularly who do amazing things for the kingdom via Grace Church. And at one time... They did fail. At one time, they did make a mistake. At one time, they did quit going to church. At one time, they did give up on God. But they made a comeback because they refused to allow their failure to be fatal. They were willing to try again. And I dare say, with some that are in my mind right now, they've impacted the kingdom more on their second, third, fourth, or fifth try, whatever it was, than they did in the ones prior. Failure does not have to be fruitless. Failure can be a great teacher. Yes, it can. Failure can make you plan better the next time. Failure can make you think it through better the next time. Failure can make you more mature. Failure can give you a greater outlook. Failure can give you a more refined perspective. You can learn from your failure. The fourth thing you need to know about failure is that failure does not have to produce fear. The world is not going to end because you failed. The church is not going to hate you because you failed. Your family is not going to hate you. Sister Murphy and I have worked with families for years where a spouse did something really stupid. I mean, just completely boneheaded, if you will. And just come into the office, or we'll sit in their living room, whatever the case may be. And they're just got their face in their hands, and there's just no use. I'm gonna give up. And we've even talked about people that talked to people that even thought about suicide, and uh, uh, just just no one will love me, no one will accept me. That is a lie of the devil. There's more failures in our area today that would be more than welcomed at any church in our area and loved more than you've ever been loved before if you could just get the courage to get up and go. I don't remember a time of throwing a failure out of Grace Church. I don't know of any of our pastors in this area that's ever thrown a failure out of their church. There's no reason not to come back. I know it's embarrassing and... But once you wade through that, that, that initial moment of just feeling condemned and embarrassed over what happened, you find open arms and open hearts and, and what have you. People will love you and God certainly will love you. The world doesn't end just because you fail. So, uh, let me get to the point. Let me get... Got that little introduction over with. Let me get to the point tonight. <clears throat> What's the purpose in failure? Why does God even allow it to happen? Why don't God always send an angel and pick us up before we fall? Why don't God close that door on failure before we ever walk through it? Why don't He do that? Why does God let you fall flat on your face and embarrass yourself and humiliate yourself? I want it understood tonight. I don't believe God lets, allows, or disallows people to fail. That's your choice. But when you do fail, is, is there, could there be a purpose? Could there be a reason? I believe there can. Number one is failure reveals your need of God. You just can't live life. Without Him. What is that proverbial statement Jesus made? That man cannot live by bread alone. You can't live without God. So failure reveals our need of God. The second thing failure does is failure reveals our limitations. Sometimes we're not all that we think we are. Sometimes our our actions can't back up what we say. Sometimes we're not able to produce everything that we think we can produce. Failure reveals our limitation. Is that not a good thing? If failure reveals our need of God, is that not a good thing? If failure reveals our limitations, is that not a good thing? Sure it is. Makes God more awesome. Makes God more appealing and attractive. Failure can reveal a sinful nature. If you fail morally, if you fail civilly, if you fail scripturally, if you sin against God or your family or your co-workers or your, your the company you work for, whoever it may be, failure can can really expose who you are as a person. If you don't believe it, ask somebody who's been through a trial for a crime they've committed. Everything that can be found has been exposed about those folks. If they don't know who they are by the time that's over with, I don't know what to say. But in our life where it's more relevant, if we have issues with sinning in certain areas, when you're finally called and you're finally found out and things fall apart in your life, then you're left there understanding that my failure has revealed who I really am. And that's a good thing. Yes, it is. It's a good thing. Failure helps us maintain humility. Kind of keeps your feet flat on the ground. Makes you realize you're not all that sometimes. Failure maintains in us humility. And I suppose one of the greatest purposes of failure is failure gives us a value of mercy and forgiveness. Like nothing else does. So when you fail, how do you overcome it? Number one, you seek God for divine direction. You approach God first. Don't go to your buddies. There may be nothing wrong with that, but that's not your first step. You go to God first. Number two, you get to the root cause of the failure. You dig deep into your own heart and mind, and you determine... With the help of God, what caused that failure? And it's not always God's fault. And it's not always someone else's fault. Trying to help somebody here tonight. Number three, you regard failure as a learning process. Let it be a teacher, as we just said. Number four, be prepared to change strategy. You start looking at life different, and you determine, you determine that the next time I face something, I'm going to be a little bit better at it. Number five is never give up, ever. As I mentioned Sunday, it was Winston Churchill that said, never, 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 never give up. Never give up. Failure is not failure if you can learn from it. Failure is not failure if you can become a better person because of it. Failure is only failure if you quit without learning from the experience. So in the scripture setting tonight, in conclusion, that I read in Joshua 7 about Israel's miserable failure at Ai, when you get to Joshua chapter 8, things begin to change. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the entire army and attack Ai. For I have given... To you, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. The Lord said to Joshua, point your spear toward Ai, for I will give you the city. And Joshua did as he commanded. In verse 19, as soon as Joshua gave the signal, the men in the ambush jumped up and poured into the city. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. In verse 22, then the Israelites who were on the inside of the city came out and started killing the enemy from the rear. So the men of Ai were caught in a trap, and all of them died. Not a single person survived or escaped. Why did that happen? Joshua failed at Ai the first time, but not the second time. What made the difference? It's all the components of this Bible study tonight is based around that story. Joshua Bottom line did everything that we taught tonight. So between chapter 7 of Joshua, which was failure, and chapter 8, which is victory, there's there's a gap in between there where, where Joshua got a grip on failure. And that's why it's relevant. It's how you handle it. Failure causes us to realize our need of God. Failure causes us to realize our need of mercy. Failure causes us to realize our need of giving grace to others. God gives us the failure test in order to cause us to realize that we cannot trust in our own abilities, our own strengths, our own gifts, and so on. To succeed, we need God's favor and his divine help. I don't often feel qualified to get up and teach or preach, but in this particular case, I do because I've had my share of failure. Failure. On many occasions, I've had to fall on my knees and repent before God. There's been plenty others in my life that I've had to say I'm sorry to. So I do feel some degree of qualification because my life has had its share of failure. I'm struggling to remember a statement. I'm sure some of you know it. But the success of a fighter, I believe it says, is not mind how many times he's knocked down. But the success of a fighter is determined by how many time he, times he gets up. And I have one thing I've learned in failure never stay down, never stay knocked out. You catch your breath, you get your wits about you, and you go at it again. And you do it, and you do it, and you do it until it finally works, especially when it comes to the will and purpose of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this time with the word of God. It's truly powerful. It's truly amazing. And oh, it's so accurate and true and real. And I pray tonight in this simple Bible study that to me is so profound that there's somebody watching tonight, maybe more than one, hopefully more than one, that's going through a time of failure right now, help them understand that it doesn't matter how many times you've been knocked down, what matters is how many times you get back up. And I pray tonight that somebody's being challenged, especially in the circumstance we've been living in for the past number of days, that somebody feels challenged to look at life a little bit different, to look Godward, to look heavenward. I pray tonight in Jesus' name that your presence would be felt that they would hear your voice in their ear tonight to encourage them to get back on their feet and pursue relationship with God again. We ask it in Jesus' name. God bless you tonight. We'll look forward to being with you again Sunday.